So, can my slide go up? Great. I only have one slide today. And as I've been thinking about for a while this last message for three months, like it's important, um, this has been the, the, the phrase that's been in my mind for a long time. Do not quarrel on the way. Does anybody know where this comes from in Scripture? You're familiar, Dave is. That's good. Anybody else? Just put up your hand nice and high. Awesome. Wow. Okay, good. You just bought yourself 20 minutes of backstory. Um, yeah, good. Okay, so we're going to go into the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It helps us understand what's, why things are the way they are, especially what went wrong. Everybody knows there's something wrong with the world. Left to ourselves, we'll never figure out what it is or how to fix it. That's why we needed Jesus. And that's why we need scripture. Because the Bible tells us what's actually gone wrong with the world. And he tells us what God has done about it to make things better. And as the story goes, the thing that went catastrophically wrong, that gave birth to every single problem and conflict and crisis and strife and all disease and all death, was that there was a human rebellion against a good creator God. That's where it all came from. As God tells the story, he made this awesome universe. He took his time. He used his creativity. He made it full of lights and life and place and food and food and food. And taking his time and every step of the way saying, this is good and this is good and this is good. And he crowned off his creation by making a creature that was uniquely capable of relating to God in love. Uniquely created to be able to know God and like God and worship God. And then when God shares his love and his generosity with that creature, uniquely capable of appreciating it and being thankful for it. And he called them man or people, man and woman. And this is kind of our deal, being made in the image of God. We are uniquely capable of understanding who God is and appreciating him and receiving his kindness and his goodness and saying thank you back and working with him, being co-workers, being on the same team, doing his will, doing awesome things. But there was this tragic rebellion where the serpent, who was some kind of manifestation of God's spiritual enemy, Satan, came and tempted the woman who, who, uh, who went for it. And Adam, her husband, went for it as well. And they ate that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which was a, an attempt to try to become like God themselves. To replace him. To reject him. And when you reject the source of all good... What are you left with? All bad. bad. That's right. When you say no thank you to the source of every good thing, you're only left with every bad thing. Well, in the midst of God dealing with this mess of his privileged, chosen creatures called his image bearers rejecting him, and wrecking everything, and through their rejection, welcoming Satan and welcoming death into the world so that everything's kind of broke, and all our hearts have a tendency to evil, he made this promise. 
He made this promise to the serpent, interestingly. He said, I will put enmity, which means like strife or warfare or the feelings of being enemies, between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the head being this like symbolic part of us that stands for government and authority, God promised that this serpent would one day be crushed. And someone who was birthed from the woman or a woman would come along and would definitively destroy this evil creature that led us into rebellion against our good creator. That's how the story begins. But it leaves this question over all of Genesis and over all the Old Testament and right until the last few chapters of the four Gospels, who is this offspring who is finally going to wreck the devil and rescue us from all the trouble we have caused? Who's it going to be? And because you've watched The Chosen, you kind of have a sense. Because you've read your Bible, you kind of have a clue. Because you've heard of Christmas, someone has handed you the Coles notes. It turns out it's a man named Jesus, but along the way, the people of God are wondering, who is it who's finally going to rescue us from all this death and damage and disgust and despair and distraction and disease? Who is it going to be? This snake crusher. Well, there's lots of options in the book of Genesis. Noah looks like he's off to a good start. He builds a boat and rescues his family during a worldwide catastrophe. But then he makes himself some wine and welcomes into the world addiction. Abusing part of God's creation to make yourself kind of go crazy And through that, welcomes a curse into one of his children through Cain. Canaan, excuse me. Abraham looks like he's going to be a good, a good uh, spot, a good person, and he has a miracle child, and he also has a miracle child. But none of these patriarchs are kind of the one. Moses also looks like a big contender until he hits that rock with that stick. But one of the shining examples of someone who could have been a contender for being a snake crusher, but actually was more just like a picture before he showed up. God likes to do trailers. You know trailers? Anybody watch trailers anymore? Coming this summer. A man with an awkward sense of humor. And his beautiful wife. And his long-suffering children. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Embark on an adventure that involves lots of food, hopefully. Only in theaters. Sabbatical. (laughs) Well, there is a story of a person in Genesis whose life is a trailer for the snake crusher who was to come, and his name is Joseph. And if you remember his story, and I'll try to do a good summary, um, he's one of many children born to a polygamous father. 
Speaking of awkward, you thought you had family trouble. But he's kind of this chosen son because um, his father, Jacob, and can you just forgive me, every sermon that involves talking about Jacob and Joseph, the pastor or preacher ends up swapping their names half a dozen times. And you sit there thinking, I can't trust anything he says. He can't even get their names right. But to that, I would only like to say, you try it. And it's weird because like in Hebrew, God's name is Yah, and so people want to put God's name into their children's name, and so tons of names start with J. Um, And also part of just how they do their morphology and having Ys at the beginnings of lots of their verbs, blah, 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 but it's awkward for us. Anyhow, um, Jacob, who has many wives, not all of them he chose, um, had lots of sons and some daughters as well, but he had a favorite wife, and his favorite wife had a really hard time having children, like really, really, so that when she finally conceived, he was somewhat instinctually favoritistic towards that son Jacob and was grooming him for leadership and privileging him above his brothers. And unfortunately, God also had a plan for Joseph. Someone should just keep track with their thumbs, how many times I get it wrong, you know? Just put it up like this. I got it wrong once already? Okay. Love you. Okay. Jacob was the dad. Joseph was the son. God also, unfortunately... Fortunately, also started to privilege Joseph by giving him these amazing dreams that kind of promised him being elevated above his brothers. You might remember this, about the sheaves being gathered together, and then even one where the sun and moon and the stars were bowing down to him. What kind of cycle has dreams about all of creation bowing down to them? Well... Maybe you remember the story. One day Joseph is sent to check on his brothers as they're out in the field. And though the scripture doesn't say it, you can kind of imagine that the serpent was hanging out with the brothers. And when they see Joseph coming, they get the great idea to kill him. Or at least just to, you know, beat him up and throw him in a hole and then sell him into slavery. You know, how merciful, how kind, the compassion of these men. We didn't kill him. We just set it up so that someone else would do it. How good. I bet they slept so easy at night. But their hearts were full of jealousy. Their hearts were full of breaking that 10th commandment to not covet what God was giving to somebody else. Their hearts were just that sin that got let into the world was proving, even amongst God's people, to be the boss. So they threw him in a pit, they beat him up, they threw him into a pit, and then some people came by who were slave traders. They said, why, why be guilty of killing him ourselves when we can just sell him off to a foreign country? And they do that, and he's taken into Egypt. And first he works in Potiphar's house, and then his uh, Potiphar's wife wants to have her way with him, and he says no. And of course, he's rewarded with his righteousness by a long stint in prison. 
But he goes down into Egypt and he goes down into the pit. And then he gets, does some dream interpreting. And within a few days, the next thing you know, he's the prince over Egypt. And he's running the, the joint. Which, for all of you who ever feel like things are going wrong, just remember, it might only take God like six days to make you the prime minister. If you're lucky or unlucky. Okay? So just watch yourself. Just watch yourself. He's got his ways. He's got his means. And he doesn't need to say please. He can just kind of get her done. Well, Joseph sets up Egypt. There's a famine coming. He gathers in a bunch of grain. He sets up all these storehouses. And when the famine finally hits, he sets himself up as the guy who decides whether or not people are going to get grain. Because he wants to go brother fishing. He expects that eventually this famine may cause his family to show up on Egypt's doorstep. And so he sets himself up as the guy who decides if people are going to get help from the storehouses. Are you tracking with me? Don't, don't let me lose you. And they do eventually show up. And partially to test their hearts, and who knows for how, uh, what other reasons, Joseph places some tricks on them pretends to be an Egyptian, pretends to not be their brother, makes them squirm, throws one of the brothers in jail, accuses them of being spies, really gives them the, like, turn of the screw. And interestingly, in the midst of all that trouble, they start, the brothers start to realize, I think we know why this is happening to us. Well, long story longer... Long story longer, um, they eventually come back with ben, Jen, Benjamin. They're sent back. They come back. There's lots of mileage put onto those camel's hooves. Lots of time to think about what you've done on the road. Joseph eventually reveals himself to his brothers who had tried to kill him, who had hated him, who had rejected him, who had enslaved him. And he reveals himself to them in mercy and pity and love, wanting to reaffirm their family connection. And they, of course, don't know what to do with themselves. And they're stunned and they don't believe it. And eventually, he sends them home to go and tell their dad, remember, there's no texting and there's no phone calls and there's no cell phones and there's no WhatsApp and there's no Signal and there's no True Social and there's no Twitter and there's no YouTube and there's no Facebook and there's no Instagram and there's none of that junk. And so he sends them home to go and tell dad that he's still alive. And this is what it says in verse 24 of Genesis 45. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. There's all the background. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe there's this sense like, you know, when the cat's away, the mice and the, the other cats and the dogs and the, everyone else plays. Maybe there's this sense of like, if you're a parent and you've got older kids and you go out and they're old enough to take care of themselves, the last thing you want is to come back to find out that one of them has a black eye all of a sudden. 
for real. Maybe there's just this sense of like any time there's a leadership move and things unsettle, um, people can get weird. But there's just this sense in the heart, I think for me and the Lord, as we walk out this next segment of church life, let's not quarrel on the way. Let's not quarrel on the way. I like, I'm a stabilizer. Have you ever heard of DISC before? The S, I think, stands for stabilizer. I'm wearing my preaching sweater. Anybody notice this? Even though it may, it's like 25 degrees this afternoon. But no, I got my preaching sweater on just because I just wanted a little bit of normal. It's just a little bit normal, longer normal. I wore a suit jacket yesterday to the funeral, and someone said they didn't recognize me. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's not wrong. That's not right. But that's also really cool. So I'm wearing just my normal thing. Because sometimes just a little bit of predictable is good. Sometimes a little bit of things staying okay is all right. But I just want to say, like, I just my whole message today is... I think we can all underestimate how easy it is to start having problems with each other. We can all estimate, even if things are going great and this is the best time at Calvary ever, not saying it is, but let's say it were, we can all underestimate how easy it is for something to go south, to hit a dirt patch on the road and find yourself in the ditch. And so like, my whole heart is, I want you to have three months of feeling free, I want you to have three months of having the best time ever. I would love to come back into the revival. But not into the conflict part of the revival. Because so often revival just means give them six months and they'll hate each other. So weird. In the West we do revival really weird. It's just like lots of people getting saved, lots of people getting free, then the ego... And then it's... And it's funny, that guy who, uh, David Oliver, who was uh, here speaking on Tuesday, the All About Heaven event, uh, I had dinner with him and another couple, and they're from England, and one of the people was from New Zealand, and so they started talking about their experiences in Africa, and I had no idea what they were talking about because of accents and all that good stuff, but David was just encouraging me to remember that part of the reason you go on a sabbatical is to remind yourself that God really does not need you. Amen? This is a great time. Look at how full we are. This is a great time for me to disappear and be reminded that God can speak through a donkey. Amen? That Balaam's mule had a better prophetic gift than I'll ever have. I've never saved nobody from an angel. I've never seen an angel. And that uh, you're way better to be a blessed loser than a winner who's inviting the Lord to do some discipline. And that everybody here has the same spirit-filled relationship with Jesus that I do, if you'll have it. Amen? So we don't need to quarrel on the way. You can imagine why they would quarrel. Like, like, 
They, they get away from the kindness of Joseph. He's the peacekeeper in the family. Not that I am necessarily. I think that's kind of Greg's job. But he's the peacekeeper in the family. I make the messes. Greg cleans them up. He's the peacekeeper in the family. He's, he's like the prime minister. He could literally have any of his brothers killed if they misbehave. And so they're on their own. But then once they start on the road, they start looking at each other and being like, It was Judah's idea. <laughs> you know, just along, you know. Just, just saying that. Just saying. Just saying. No, no offense. I just, I'm a speaker of truth. Speaker of truth. Speaker of truth. It's Judah's idea. I tried to stop it. No, you didn't. I gave you the, I don't like this, eyebrows. I know you saw it. I know you saw it. While I quietly sat there not doing anything, I know you saw my disapproving eyebrows moving at you. And so it's just, again, hitting me. Bringing it back to the beginning. What is the kind of person who is the snake crusher that God prophesied about right when everything went wrong? It's the kind of person who can receive the abuse and the hurt that comes from being in a sinful world, even when it comes from people you should have the highest expectation of treating you right, and can find the Lord in it enough to be able to respond with truth but mercy and compassion and actually wanting good for those people who were so messed up they treated you so bad. Joseph wasn't sitting there going, oh man, when they tell dad about what they did, oh, they're going to get it. Don't quarrel on the way. Dad needs to hear the news from a bunch of sons at peace with each other. And then you bring him home to me that we might be at peace together. That's the kind of gathering that Joseph and Jesus want to bring to the Father. A room full of sons who are getting over it together. Ooh, I got time. Two thoughts heading into a sabbatical about this. Can I borrow your Bible for a sec? Thank you. Good. Number one, just a theological thought that will be helpful for everyone in every way for the rest of our lives. So later on in the story, when Jacob dies, how many, how many mistakes have I made so far? Is it just the one still? Okay. When Jacob finally passes away, they go and they have an extended funeral for him because he was like royalty. And when they come back, the sons, I think, realize that now they really are at the mercy of Joseph. And what if he didn't mean it? And what if he changes his mind? What if he has a bad night and remembers what we really did and what we really said? And so you get this little story here, right at the end of Genesis, and it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is starting verse 15, 
they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Little parentheses, I think they're lying here. We don't have any report of Jacob actually ever finding out the truth or saying this. I kind of think they're lying. I could be wrong. It doesn't say. But sometimes when you're reading scripture and it's like this convenient message that nobody heard about is finally being told by people who are worried about a situation, you're just kind of like, shenanigans. Well, they're terrified. And it says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am, in the, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. How many of our quarrels come from not really believing that God loves us, wants us, chose us, will keep us, isn't going to change his mind about us, will provide for us, will care for us, will care about us, and will see us through to the end. These brothers were starting a quarrel with Joseph. They didn't really realize they would, but you know, they have evil thoughts about him. Oh, what if Joseph is as evil as we are? We better manipulate him to keep him from doing his evil heart. You can understand why he wept. Because they were insulting him with the scheme. And he weeps over their unwillingness to believe that God could have mercy on them. Through him. And so he says these words that you could pretty much put in the mouth of Christ himself. Don't be afraid. Now he can't say, am I in the place of God? I mean, the answer is yes, but work with me here, people. As for you, you in your sin did mean evil against me. Think about the cross. Think about the torture. Think about the rejection of the people of Israel. Think about how the Israelite leaders hated and distrusted and were jealous of Jesus. Think about how the Romans would rather kill innocent people than risk having upheaval in one of their cities. Think about how the disciples ran away to save their own skin minutes after telling Jesus that they would rather die than lose him. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. And I will provide for you. Why is this important? Okay, let me try to get this here. We need a, to, a way to understand Genesis. We need a way to understand the gospel. And we need a way to understand our lives. And part of God's response to the evil in the book of Genesis and the evil that happened to Jesus and the evil that we even experience is this. As much as a human being can mean it for evil, God has the wisdom, power, and grace to be working out a tremendous good in it, through it, 
over it, under it, behind it, because of it, despite it, and instead of it. So even if things go catastrophically wrong while I'm gone, which probably won't happen, again, I'm usually the source of more of the trouble than less of it. It's going to be wonderful, but even if it's a catastrophe, God has a good plan and a purpose for each one of you individually in it. And I know it hurts our brains and our hearts to imagine that this could be true. Because sometimes the hurt and the pain and the evil just threatens to destroy us. Break our minds. Break our hearts. We can't believe that it's possible. But that's why we need to come back to stories like Joseph. And like Jesus. And be able to say, every kind of evil people can do, Jesus chose to receive. So that when he came back from the dead with the right to forgive all sin and the right to call on the Father to receive the Holy Spirit on behalf of the church and the right to receive us into heaven forever, we can say, every good thing I have in Christ came through the evil of men. Every single day I spend in heaven seeing the face of the glorified Christ was bought for me through the sin of men. So I should stop quarreling with people and trust God. So don't quarrel on the way, says Joseph. This is all he wants from us. That's all Joseph wanted from his brothers. Can't you see that God's bigger than every bad thing you did? Can you get along? For the amount of time it takes you to get back here. Hard crammage of Mother's Day message into this message. One of the things that happened in the catastrophe of the fall fall is that all our relationships got broke. Or at least got a tendency to be broken. And one of the things that kills relationship is uh, selfishness. So I was really impacted by the funeral yesterday um, for Scott Ferguson. And a friend of his, a long-term friend of his, was up here and shared one of the most important rebukes he ever got in his life, which came from Scott. And he said, we were doing a young men's or a men's group sharing time, and I shared some frustrations. And afterwards, Scott said to me, which not me, that guy. That was one of the most selfish things I've ever heard anybody say. And the guy who shared it said, and it was right, and it went right to my heart because it was true, and Scott shared it in love. And for me, I'm just, I've been thinking about the idea of not saying sin as much as saying selfishness when I talk. Because I think, 
don't worry, we'll, we'll be okay. It's, I believe, in the inspiration of Scripture. But when you get used to things, they become unimportant to you. And we can talk about sin all the time, and it's become such a church word that we don't grieve over it. We don't get hurt by it. We're not, like, broken that we do it. It's sin, 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 sin. But if you take the word sin and you replace it with selfishness, that does change the game quite a bit. And the heart of sin is selfishness. In my relationship with God, who's the most important? The guy with two thumbs. In my relationship with people, who's the most important? This guy. In my relationship in Canada, who's the most important Canadian? He's wearing my shoes right now. Lucky you. Look at all you people. To be so fortunate to be in a church with the most important man in the world. You guys deserve... Well, you're already getting more than you deserve. <laughs> and you're welcome. Well, we laugh. We laugh. But can we find a quarrel? Can we find a problem that we've been a part of where that inner part of us that needs to assert the self selfishness hasn't contributed to it? I would be hard-pressed. So anyhow, the relationship is broken. And when God is talking and warning and declaring that human relationships are broken, it's interesting that he does it while he's talking to the woman. Because in most families and most churches, uh, it really is the ladies who keep us in relationship. Biblically, marriage started when God said, it's not good for you to be alone, Adam. You need a wife. And that's the delivering of the wife started marriage. And beyond marriage, a family with generations in it starts when the woman has the baby. And that's when that, that family is born. And so God has chosen to share his glory of being the source of life in a particularly awesome way with the woman. And it's her glory. And in First uh, Corinthians... Sorry, I'm totally just indulging my desire to say things I thought about this week. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it's, it's amazing because God actually says in, in that chapter, I think it's chapter 11, that just to keep things fair, he started humanity with Adam, but everybody else has come through the woman since then, so that we'll be grateful. Like, your life, how many women have needed to become mothers for you just to be here? Okay. One, just for me to be here. But two, for my mother to be there to give birth to me. And then four, I think for those mothers to create the grandparents. I think the math kind of works like that, right? There is this doubling every generation of how many women needed to do the hard work and the glory of being a life bearer for God. Every generation doubling, going back and back and back. So that even if you're like a hardcore young earther, it's two to the power of 49-ish. Assuming that 
Well, no, not even, because they usually give birth earlier rather than later. So it's probably two to the power of like a hundred or something like that. Of women you owe your life to. So say thanks. That's the point. The point is like, don't think like negative thoughts about them. Because there's nothing without them. Go ahead, have an economy without them. We're so crazy. I, I saw Tony, so now I have to say it. I just keep thinking that the schools need to get a hold of this. Because kids are their business. So they should just be brainwashing every single grade about the greatness of having a good marriage and being a conflict solver in your relationship and having lots of kids. Because that's just investing in your own industry. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The better the, behave the, kid, the, the, better the adults are at raising good-behaved kids, the easier your class is. True? And the more kids they have, the more schools you get. It's just selfish in the right kind of way. But we, we do, we end up disconnecting who, who is owed glory, who is owed gratitude. All that being said, coming back to it, the women have a particular call to learn and teach others to be peacemakers. Because the curse hits you hard there, And the redemption is called there. You train the next generation how to deal with conflict. And there is no church that stays together if the women aren't helping everybody be at peace with each other. It's just a fact. Guys clumped together are a team. And usually they want to hit each other. When the ladies are there too, then we can be a family. So this is my call. This is the thing. Ladies, help us all to not quarrel on the way. Okay. Help the kids learn to not quarrel. Help your dudes learn to not quarrel. You have a particular grace. You have a particular calling to undo the fall with your peacemaking. End of hard right sermon. Should we get the kids? Okay, so in a couple of minutes, I think you guys are going to pray for us. But uh, I just want to say I'm so excited for you for this summer. I'm so excited for you. And I'm going to miss being with you during awesome things. Uh, We're going to miss it. But we're also going to be really happy to be walking with Jesus in our own little side journey for this. Let's not quarrel on the way. Father God, I just want to pray for Calvary Church. Whatever special grace you've given to me for a little bit just as a steward I bless everyone here Holy Spirit I pray for a fresh and profound deliver, 
delivery of humility based on knowing how loved we are by Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you give us the humility to face any problem, to be honest about what's going on in our hearts, to be willing to have hope that any time a problem does come up, you have a good intention in it. I bless the families. I bless the moms. I bless the dads. I bless the kids. I bless the fun. I bless the sunshine times. I bless the vacations, Lord Jesus. I bless the finances. I bless the serving. I bless the team. I bless the staff. I bless this church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to know in their hearts the love of God. I bless them to take the initiative sometimes to make things better. I bless them to have high hopes for great things. Lord, I bless them to go, it's right, Rob doesn't do any of the important stuff. It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, and I have you. I bless the grind. I bless the end of school. I bless working. I bless the construction. I bless all the summer stuff, Lord Jesus, and I pray that this house would know the presence of God in unlimited grace while I'm gone. That you would be so generous, Father. Lord, that you would be so generous that you would wink at every little thing and just see the potential in every heart and turn people to Christ with joy and wash away shame and cut off fear and fill with love, 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 love. I pray for financial blessings. I pray people would get healed, Lord Jesus. I pray that there would just be ideas of how to bless this city. I pray summer in this city would be amazing, Lord Jesus. I pray that street kids would come to the Lord. I pray that old people with bitter hearts would come to the Lord. Lord, I pray that families and businessmen would come to the Lord. I pray, Father, for breakthrough in minds and hearts and souls. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to launch missions and missionaries. I pray, Lord, people would get awesome visions for global impact in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would do it all in ways that we would say, no man has done this. It is the hand of the living God. That would be a gift to me, Dad. Papa, I would be so happy. I would be so happy. And I trust you to do what's best. All good people said, Amen.